0: Happy Father's Day, I'm so glad all of you have joined us today. I hope you're having a good day. Some of you are having a better day than others. We know that um, anytime you're celebrating a, a holiday like this, uh, some, some people um, have better relationships than others do, and some people came from a different background than others do, and anyhow, we have a, a loving Heavenly Father. And uh, for some, maybe your father's gone on to the next life, or maybe you didn't know him, or but we have good dads and we have challenging situations, but in it all, God is, God is with us today. Father's Day was first held on July 5th, 1908, in West Virginia, honor fathers killed in the Manana Mine disaster. And it was Sonora Smart Dodd who credited as the founder of this official holiday. She held her father in great esteem and she had heard a sermon at church about the newly recognized Mother's Day at the Central Methodist Episcopal Church. And she felt so strongly that fatherhood needed recognition as well. And she approached the Spokane, which is in Washington, ministerial alliance and suggested her own father's birthday of June 5th as the day to honor for fathers. The Alliance chose the third Sunday in June instead, and and I think the primary reason for that was um, they wanted to give the minister a little bit more time than a couple days to prepare for the service, so they moved it back a little bit. Thank you, Alliance. The first Father's Day was celebrated June 19th, 1910 in Spokane, Washington, and, and it kind of didn't really take off right away. It kind of faded in the 20s, and I mean... There were some presidents involved, and, but eventually, in 1972, President Nixon established it in the United States as a permanent national observance to be held on the third Sunday of each June. And then eventually, it kind of went to other countries like Canada, where we are today, where we celebrate fathers today, father figures. So, happy Father's Day. Now, yeah, I'm enjoying my day. Now for you um, that are new here, um, today is Abba Sunday, and uh, it's a word you only find it really three times in the New Testament, Abba. And once Jesus is speaking, and twice uh, you see Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul. One is in Mark 14, 36, Abba Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now I'm gonna come back to this one a little bit, but this is Jesus talking. And, and a lot of people, you know, oh, Jesus was calling out to his Father in heaven to save him as he was about getting ready to go to the cross. But I think it was a little bit more than just asking Daddy to save him. I think he was appealing not just to his Father God, but he was appealing to the authority of God in heaven. And kind of, as one author put it, as a prince appealing to a king, uh, you know. And but he was totally submitted to the will of the Father, which we'll get to also. Then in Romans eight, you see Paul speaking, the apostle Paul, so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, now we call him Abba Father. And in Galatians four, six, and because we're his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. So there's this term that we see, I think it actually came from the Aramaic. It has to do with intimacy with God, intimacy with the Father. intimacy in that relationship and having to know them with some confidence and some familiarity. So in our lives, we have familiarity and relationship with our natural father in some cases, and then we also have familiarity and relationship with our father, God. And if, and I'm gonna get into this in a little bit, you're reading the word of God and you understand his, his, who he is and who he says he is, you'll find that you can develop a relationship with Him. Now, it's really hard to develop a relationship with someone that you don't spend any time with. Right. You don't spend any time with God, how are you gonna have a relationship with Him? So, on Abba Sunday, which is Father's Day, we do um, our capital campaign. This is the day we, we raise money for a lot of the extra things that we do as a church. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that have to happen. Uh, to run um, the facility and, and to reach out to the community. So we encourage everyone to give their best. And I'm gonna come back to that in a second too. And everybody's best is gonna look a little bit different and that's okay. And, and it's really a reflection of your heart condition before God and your relationship with Him. So I tell people, if you cannot give with joy, do not give. Or you're not helping yourself or anyone else. But as Christians, the natural byproduct of our Christian life is we want to live generously, which is all through the New Testament. So each year, we set aside some money for capital expenses, and, but we've also instituted where we want to reach out to our community as well. And, and so as we're raising money for the capital expenses, we want to take some of that money and devote it to missions or local missions. And the first one that I want to talk about, and I just want to make sure I get the name right, I think is Windsor Family Homes and Community Partnerships is the official name but what we do is we sponsor their youth camp each summer and we, and we bring food over to them uh, Monday through Friday every day at noon. So we raise the money for the food, we prepare the food, and then we deliver the food and I think they're probably looking for a few more people to help prep the food and a few more people to help deliver the food for noon every, every day uh, during the week. Uh, You can talk to the information center or call the office to find out more about that. But as we donate to the ABBA, a portion of that will go to cover those expenses. And the other thing we're hoping to do is uh, we're finding that there's a lot of people that would like to come to church, but not everybody can get here. And uh, what we've set up is we can actually hire a school bus to go out and pick people up. Now, I can hire a school bus to go drive around Windsor and ask people if they want to come to church. But... um, it would probably work a little bit more better if we were a little more intentional about that. And we had some people helping us with that, like bus captains who could maybe set up the route. And we have software that does that. But I'm confident that we can raise the money for the cost of the bus. That's the easy part. It's, it's the people that are going to be obedient to what God says and sign up to help us with this ministry. And, and I'm... I'm sure that people, God is speaking to their hearts about this because you are a compassionate people who are concerned about the spiritual health and well-being of others who desire to come into the local church to be equipped. And then I have a final challenge in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19 in the Amplified. We would like to, uh, sorry, uh, as for the rich in this present world, Instruct them not to be conceited and arrogant nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly and ceaselessly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share with others. In this way, storing up for themselves the enduring riches of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, I can tell you lots of statistics right now to talk about what is rich and how rich we are and how blessed we are. But the truth is here in Canada and even in Windsor and the surrounding areas, one in seven people, I could go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, I could have one in seven stand up. I'll save you the the exercise. But one in seven people in Canada live under what's called the low income cutoff or the LICO. That means that if you're a single person, you're making less than 27,000 or if a household of four making less than 52,000 cumulatively for the household. It's considered below the LICO line. Now, why am I sharing that with you? That used to be called the poverty line. This is where people cannot even buy and afford the things that they need to basically survive food, clothing, and shelter. So one in seven people in Canada can't even meet those basic needs. Everyone else that's above that line, you're rich. And you have no idea how rich you are and how blessed you are. And we're all rich in Christ, okay? Now I know Canadians have an idea of what rich looks like, and, and, but most of the rich idea that people have has to do with um, wants, not needs. Around the world, it's more about needs than it is wants in a lot of places. And I've, I've traveled to some of those places where um, they're fortunate if they can have a meal for dinner every day as opposed to every other day or every third day. So what happens is this. If everyone participates based according to what your faith is, based on what God has spoken to you about and what the Holy Spirit's directing you to do, then the job gets done. And I will point out to you, Jesus was watching the widow who gave a little bit And said, actually, she gave more than all the rich ones who gave out of their excess. And he was talking about sacrificial giving of Christianity. So there comes a time in our life where we can actually sacrificially sow into the kingdom and sow into the lives of others. We as Christians should always be generous and we should always be looking out for others. If you see someone that doesn't have and you have the ability in your hand to help them, you should be helping them. That's how we live. Now, Let's pray, Father, I thank you for today and for the great opportunity that we have as Christians, your people, to be Christ followers. I thank you that there's a joy and a completeness in you that only you bring. I thank you that you are willing to give your whole life and all your blood for us, to make a way for us to know you in the power of your resurrection. Today, Lord, as people are sowing, giving in faith, I thank you that not only is every need met, but you, Lord, are the one that gives seed to those that desire to give. I thank you that you provide for us everything we need, our food, our clothing, and our shelter. We look to you as our source, not our employers, not our jobs, not our government, not our economy. We look to you. So I thank you for the faithfulness that you have towards your people, and I thank you for the encouragement in their hearts as they purpose to sow today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wanna have a message for the next little bit on Dear Dad and if you remember back on Mother's Day we talked about Jesus' relationship with Mary and some of the interactions that they had. So I want to discuss some of the relationship that Jesus has that the Bible records with Joseph, his adoptive father. Now the truth is uh, his adoptive or stepfather Joseph is not mentioned a lot in the scripture, in fact, We know that an angel speaks to him three times. Now, how many of you have had three angelic visits? Oh, okay. Once an angel came and told Joseph to marry his pregnant fiance. (laughs) Once an angel came and told him that someone was gonna try to kill them, so you need to leave and go to another country, Egypt. And then once the angel came back to him and said, hey, that guy that wanted to kill you is dead, you can go home now. Mostly the account of Joseph is found in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. Um, They're kind of mirror accounts. And really, he's mentioned in the conversation when Jesus is 12 and at the temple. And there's a couple references later in the scriptures to him being the adoptive father. And that's it. That's all, folks. Have a good day. Thank you for coming. (laughs) So... We're actually gonna talk about Jesus' relationship to the Father God. And we're gonna talk about how he interacted with his Father in heaven. Now, I don't think that I have enough weeks left in the year to fully go through this, so I'm just gonna highlight a couple things along Jesus wanting to do the will of the Father. And in John 6, verse 38 to 40, the scriptures tell us, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will. Jesus is talking here. He came from heaven to do the will of the Father. As Christ followers, that's us, people who take on the nature and character of Christ, we call ourselves Christians, we are to do the will of the Father. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he's given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For it's my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Now, this is actually good news because the Father's desire is that everyone would have eternal life through Jesus. Now, that means you and I, God's desire is that we could have eternal life through Jesus. And we, like Jesus, are to do the Father's will. What does that look like for us? For him, it meant he had to die, he had to go on the cross, he had to have the sin of the world poured out upon him, the wrath of God poured out upon him, um, and he had to die and go into the grave, he had to be resurrected from the dead. Jesus had to walk a certain path to be obedient to the Father's will. Now, in Matthew 7, it actually addresses what the will of God looks like for us and it says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. That means when you stand before God, you don't get to say, well, I went to church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. I gave money in the ABBA offering. I even volunteered in kids' church. And by the way, I donated some money to the poor. In some cases, they're gonna say, I even cast out demons in your name, and I laid hands on sick people. And what's he gonna say? I didn't know you. Because doing the will of the Father is more about us being obedient to what he's instructing us to do than it is the outward actions that we try to earn our own righteousness. Here's God's will for your life, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice. We're to surrender our life to Christ. We're to surrender our life to the Father. We live a holy life. Every day, it says, is a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. That means that you die daily, as Paul says. I die to my flesh every single day. I crawl out of bed and I put my flesh on the altar and say, die, and I let God resurrect me and then I wanna do his will, not my will. Because how many know there's a war going on all the time in your life between your flesh and your spirit and your flesh wants to serve itself and it doesn't wanna die. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind they'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Uh Uh-oh. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What are we supposed to do? Submit to God? We're supposed to obey God? We're supposed to live a life of worship? Keep in mind, you are a spirit. You have your mind, will, and emotions, and you live in an earth suit, your body, okay? In this world, we pay a lot of attention to our earth suit, our body, our, our flesh, okay? We pay a lot of attention to that. People wanna sculpt it so it looks good. I know I need to spend a little more time sculpting it. My wife will attest. Oh, come on, hun! 21 years ago, I looked a little better. Okay, a lot better, <laughs> 22 years ago. We spend a lot of time working on our mind. We go see psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors. Why? We wanna fix our body, we wanna fix our mind. But your spirit, which is eternal, we often neglect. When you go out in the world, they don't talk about your spiritual health. But the truth is, it's mind, body, and spirit. And when you get all three healthy, then we live life to the fullest. God went to the cross, Jesus went to the cross, mind, body, and spirit. He wants you to be healthy. Don't neglect the spiritual part of this. Now, I wanna take these concepts, and there's a lot of theologians that kinda try to break this down into two parts. So, as is my habit, I try to simplify uh, deep theological truth into simple terms. So they break these concepts of of God's will into two parts. One, they call it the sovereign will, and the other one they call it his commanded will or his revealed will. So let me give you an example of this, and then I'll try to break down a summary of it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying, I read the scripture a little bit earlier. God, take this cup of suffering, okay? And, and, And the truth is, Jesus in his humanity was kinda looking at what he was gonna endure at the cross, And he's going, God, (laughs) uh, if you don't mind, I really don't know that I want to walk this road. But whatever you will, I'll do, okay? Now, God's sovereign plan in the big picture was for Christ to suffer on the cross. That's why he sent him to earth. And his sovereign will had to happen. But his sovereign will already took into account the sin of humans, the pride of the Pharisees, the disobedience of the Romans who punished an innocent man. It took all of those things into account and much more so that God's sovereign will, which had to happen and it was gonna happen and there was nothing that was gonna change it, was completed. And I'm guessing there was very few people on planet Earth at the time that Jesus went to the cross that understood the full significance of the crucifixion of Christ at that time. In fact, thousands of years later, I think we're just beginning to understand the full purpose of the cross. But I don't have full revelation of it, do you? Because I discover new things about the purposes of Jesus on the cross every day and every week. So what we have to understand is there's this sovereign will of God. And, and Jenna Herbeck, she put this neat, simple summary together, and I think she took it from Paul Tripp's writings, but on God's sovereign will in simple terms, it's secret. It's known only to God except as revealed through history or revelation. So that means God can reveal part of his sovereign will to people at times, or we look back through history and we see how the the providence of God led that, to how his sovereign will was accomplished. It cannot be resisted or thwarted. In other words, you can't change God's will. You can't, not his sovereign will. It includes both good and evil which means that he knows that good and bad things are gonna happen, and yet he still has a purpose that he's gonna accomplish through it. It is comprehensive and controls all aspects of life, time, and history. We are not commanded to discover or know what God has not revealed, okay? So when we're looking at God's sovereign will for our life, there's some, we're not, what we don't know, we don't know, we just have to trust. And the best example of this that I can kind of give you See, when it comes to free will, people make choices. And when you make a choice, people can suffer because of your choice. How do you know this? A lot of the pain and suffering is the result of other people's sin. Has anyone ever hurt you, offended you, mistreated you? They were disobedient to God's command and instruction. And as a result of that, you experience pain and suffering in your life. So what we have to understand is like, when a child is mistreated or abused, we, we hear this question, all day, well God, why didn't you stop it? God, why did you allow that? The truth is God allowed free will. And he does permit and allow suffering to happen. He allowed his own son to suffer on the cross. Now, the problem we have as humans is we have this finite perspective and we don't see the beginning from the end. I don't know the end of the story. I don't know how God is going to turn it around and redeem it. But I assure you, in his master plan, he has a good plan for every human. Do I think that God causes it? No. People cause it. Satan causes it. But he will take that in his sovereign plan and he can turn it around to produce some good inside of your life. That's why it says, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purposes. So when we look at the sovereign will, it gets, it gets confused. And what happens is people confuse the sovereign will, why doesn't God intervene? Okay, and throughout history, why didn't God intervene when Hitler rose to power? No easy answer for that, is there? The truth is, people had the ability to rise up and resist him and they didn't. That's right. That's That's right. So people from the other side of the planet had to come and remove him from power. Okay. But we, we don't always understand these things. Now, here's another example of God's commanded or his revealed will. The scriptures, give us instructions on how to live our day-to-day life. For instance, in the other garden, Adam and Eve were told, you can eat of the fruit of all the trees in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of all this, but don't eat that one. God's revealed, will; it was commanded. (laughs) And what did they do? They disobeyed God's revealed will. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Now we live under a curse. Thank you, Jesus. You came and broke the curse. However, God's commanded will is revealed in the word of God. It can be obeyed, disobeyed, or resisted. You can obey God when you read the scriptures. You can disobey God when you read the scriptures. Or you can resist God when you read the scriptures. Choice is yours. Nobody can choose for you. It includes only that which is good and holy for the believer's life. So God only has a good plan for you. It's specific and provides principles for living and navigating life. In other words, God gives you the best possible plan on how to live life. Even when you live according to all of God's principles, how many of you know sometimes hardship comes? Sometimes you end up on a cross like Jesus. Anyone? Oh, come on, it's such a happy message. But you as a believer are responsible to know, understand, and obey what God has revealed through his word by faith. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get to here is the scriptures tell us how we're supposed to live. There's all the how we're supposed to interact with one another's and how we're supposed to live our life sacrificially for the benefit of others and how we're supposed to be generous, how we're supposed to love, how we're supposed to walk with people, how we're supposed to forgive. The scriptures give us the tools it's revealed by God through his revelation in the word of God how we're supposed to live life. Now practically, how many of you live everything exactly as the Bible tells you to? (sighs) How many get yourselves into trouble when you disobey what the scriptures say? I use this as a for instance at the first service, there was one guy, he, he hung a picture of his wife on the wall in the kitchen and put employee of the month. Hey, no, blasphemy, eh? How horrible is that? He created his own problem, did he not? <laughs> so from time to time, I have these conversations with my staff about what we should put on the sign, which we need to fix, but we're going to get it fixed. But, but what happens is this, um, and they wouldn't let me do this one, so I just figured I'd work it into a message. It was easier than trying to put it on the sign anyways. <laughs> You've heard it said bad things happen to people sometimes, Right? Has anyone ever heard that? Sometimes bad things happen? Often the cause of that is you make really bad decisions. I don't wanna hear that. What do you mean, bad things happen to me because I make bad decisions? Yep. That's that's what happens. Why are you looking at me like you're so holy and you never make bad decisions? I've never once met someone getting a speeding ticket because they weren't pressing the pedal harder than they should've. You if you get a ticket, you are probably driving faster than you should. Yeah. You can't blame the devil for that. <laughs> oh my goodness. The man who hung the picture in the kitchen, well, he might've been good intention. He wasn't the wisest guy. He created some conversation for himself. Another guy I know, I forget what he said. He told his wife, "Um, I didn't want to get involved in your workspace. I was like, oh my goodness. Some people just don't have wisdom. (laughs) My wife is an amazing cook. When she's in the kitchen, I try to stay out of the way. However, when I'm in the kitchen, I like her to stay out of my way, (laughs) even though she's better. (laughs) See, God has his revealed or his commanded will that he's He's asked all of us as Christ followers to live by. There's things in his sovereign will that we have no control over because it's going to happen. But we have to trust him that through those things, he's going to work it out for our good. That's hard to do sometimes. Now, Jesus... He did as the Father commanded. He was 100% obedient 100% of the time. Watch this, John 14, 31, amplified. But so the world may know without any doubt that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me and act in full agreement with him. Get up and let's go from here. Whenever the Father told Jesus to do something, he did it and he was obedient even to the place where he went to the cross and laid down his life and shed his blood. For us, we are to follow the command of god there's the great commandment love god and love others and there's the great commission go and tell others about the hope that he's given you the gospel that we've talked about over the last few weeks if we could literally just do the great commandment and the great commission and do it well we would change the world we would change our world so it tells me even though there might be a few hundred people sitting in here today and a few hundred at the other service, and a few hundred streaming. Hi, streamers. If we could just get this whole great commandment, great commission thing down, do it good, it would change the world. Just that. Just that. So that tells me that there's a process where we're learning to be more obedient to God's revealed will for us all. Jesus also imitated his Father. In John 5:19, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. We are also to imitate our Father God. In Ephesians 5:1, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you're his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us a pleasing aroma to God. So we are to live a life of love. We are to do the things that God does. We are to say the things that God says. We are to act and take on his nature and his character and live as he intends us to. When I was young, we used to, my brothers used to play this annoying game. My children do it sometimes. Nadia, you want to come play the game? No. She plays this game with me sometimes, my daughter. You know the game that kids play, where everything you say, they say? And everything you do, they do? So you say, you know, um, hey, stop doing that. And they say, hey, stop doing that. And you walk like this, so they walk like this. And you say, knock it off. And they say, knock it off. Has anyone ever played that game? Has anyone ever irritated someone playing that game? (laughs) The truth is, my brothers played that game so often and so much that the only way that I could get them to stop was to resort to violence. I don't recommend that. (laughs) Full disclosure, my poor little brother, (laughs) there's this spot on the inside of the thigh. If you punch it, the muscle goes. (laughs) (laughs) Poor kid. So years later, he went to school to become a policeman, RCMP. And he came back from depot, and I remember he grabbed me one day and he threw me on the ground and stuck his knee in the back, and then he stuck his hands underneath my chin and started pulling up as he pushed down with his knee and said, remember when you did that move and threw me, you're supposed to follow it up with this? And I was like, notice I didn't do that to you when you were young. I wasn't really flattered that they wanted to be like me. (laughs) I was rather annoyed. However, our Father God will never be irritated with you when you act like him. When you do the works of Jesus, when you do the works of the Father, he'll never be irritated. He will say, go, continue on. He wants you to lay hands on the sick. He wants you to cast out devils. He wants you to release people that are captive and oppressed. He wants you to say encouraging words. He wants you to share the message of hope. He wants you to demonstrate love in every situation. He wants you to forgive. Are you catching this? See, God wants you to act like he acts. He wants you to take on his nature and character. He wants you as a Christ follower and an image bearer to really look like him and act like him. And the truth is, he even gave you this wonderful armor that we can put on every day. And I think when you're wearing the armor and acting like him, the enemy doesn't know who you are. He gets confused. Man, looks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, talks like Jesus, Uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. So Jesus, he was fully submitted to the Father when he was here. He wanted to do the Father's will. Jesus not only understood God's sovereign plan, but he also understood his revealed plan and purpose. And then Jesus, he did as the Father commanded, he obeyed what the Father said to do. And he imitated the Father. I and my Father are one. He says it over and over again in the book of John. Whatever I see the Father doing, I do. You know, the Pharisees were upset with Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath day, and Jesus was like, look, my Father wants people to be set free. Why, why are you upset with me for making this guy better? Yeah. I didn't do any work. God does the work. If God wants to set him free on a Sunday, guess what? Or a Saturday back in those days, whatever. It doesn't matter. What does it matter? But see, sometimes we get so caught up in the religion, we forget about the relationship. We get so caught up in the rule, we forget about the relationship. It's not what you do that's gonna earn your way to salvation. It's what Jesus did. That's right. Do you see the difference? You don't earn your salvation. In your obedience, you can come into alignment with God's will for your life. You can produce blessing or you can produce cursing. Obedience or disobedience. Why don't you stand with me? There's an interesting verse in John 14 6. Jesus says simply, it says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I want you to hear and understand. There is only one way to the Father God, and that is through Jesus. He's the way to He's the way to the Father. The truth of his life shows you the path to the Father. And the life of God can only be through Jesus. Any other way to approach God will not get you the result that you desire. And if you're here today, some of you might know God. And you're with him. And you love him. And you have relationship with him some of you knew him and you're not with him now you're far away some of you maybe never knew god some of you were introduced to him but you haven't spent any time developing that relationship the truth is god has called all of us to repent of our sin and give our life to him Lay our life down and take on his life. Let him transform the way you think. He'll change you from the inside out. That comes through spending time with the Father. I want to encourage you, if you've never known the Father God, you need to. And if you've known him and you're far away from him, you're like a prodigal, you're doing your own thing. Come back. It's one step back to Christ. Repentance, receive forgiveness, release forgiveness, start moving forward. But for those of you that have never known Christ, I want you to come talk to me right after the service. Or Dave and Carolyn will be up here too, we'll pray with you, we'll get you into the family. Because you know the truth is, all humans are God's children, but only some are in relationship with him. And he wants to redeem all people back to himself. And if you're one of the ones that aren't in a relationship, you need to be, so come back. And as we have the cup in our hand today, the bread and the cup, you know, we come to the table. This is the Lord's Supper. We do this to remember his sacrifice. There's a couple of things we have to do. We have to prepare our hearts. If you've got unforgiveness in your heart, release it. Let it go. Jesus, I forgive, I release. You want to make sure you're discerning his body properly. But Lord, as we come to the table today, Father's Day 2022, I thank you that you went to the cross to bring healing to everybody. And we can receive it by faith. Father, and you didn't just want to heal us, in our bodies you wanted to heal our minds as well and restore us to fullness of health at the cross you made a way and we receive that now and i thank you that every broken place is being restored to wholeness in jesus name The blood of the new covenant. Jesus died for your sin. And there's no sin that you've ever committed that he won't forgive you of. The only sin that doesn't get forgiven is unbelief. You don't believe in the sacrifice he made. So the Bible says the world's sin is unbelief. Father, as we come to the table today, I sense that there's people that's hearts are broken. There's pain, there's woundedness, there's a lot of emotion right now. There's anger. Father, we lay down anger, rage, resentment, bitterness, towards you, towards others. Lord, I don't understand or even begin to try to explain or comprehend the why things have happened as they did in so many situations that people face. But Lord, we're gonna look to you today to bring us beyond the limitations and the pain of our past. I declare the blood of Jesus right now. You're releasing hearts and minds all over this room. It says you took captivity captive. Lord, release, heal hearts, heal brokenness, heal pain, pain. release the hurt. And if there's something stirring you, just lay it down at the foot of the cross right now and let the blood of Jesus wash over you. It cleanses and it heals, it restores. There's forgiveness there. Some of you just need to release yourself right now in this moment. You have no problem forgiving others, but you need to forgive yourself as well today. Jesus, we release forgiveness towards others, towards ourself. And we receive forgiveness from you. And as we come to the table, we declare that you make all things new. Mind, body, and spirit. In Jesus' name. Dave and Carolyn are going to come now. Thank you all for being so gracious today. Have a good one. Good Father's Day. WCF, you have been equipped. Go and be the church.